And so we're spending these few weeks leading up to Easter around the foot of the cross. It's a good place to be. Hearing what Jesus said in those last few hours as he hung there in agony and seeking to apply it as much as we can to our own life. Today we're looking at two themes and two choices. Have you ever had a, a time in your life where you've really changed your mind and changed your heart? Uh, it happens over various things, doesn't it? Uh, on a very insignificant level, uh, when I was a young man, I was brought up to play rugby union. Uh, I played for school and a, and a club for a very short while. Didn't have a trial for the county, but I never got in. Um, and I thought rugby union was the only kind of rugby. That's what you play. And I was really not disposed to rugby league at all. Because at that time, they were professionals and the rugby union people were amateurs and that was meant to be the way to do it, you see. Um, but then we started going to watch Wigan. Oh, dear, and it was a fast game. And it was only 13 people on the pitch each side, so there was more room to dodge and run and weave. And it was exciting. And uh, when we used to live up here, we had a season ticket for Wigan, me and my kids, mostly because um, it was only £25 a year to take the kids. It was great, isn't it? Wonderful. So I'm still a Wigan supporter. And it changed my mind and it changed my heart. And rugby union's okay, I like it, but rugby league, oh yeah, I'm a real fan. Change your mind. One of these thieves on the cross had been heading in the whole wrong direction. He changed his heart, he changed his mind when he saw how Jesus died. Of course, if you're a believer, you've had the same change of heart and change of mind. You see, until Jesus means everything, he means nothing. And it's where we are, isn't it? He means nothing until he means everything. And then when he means everything, it changes the very uh, life that we live. Jesus said unto him, truly, truly, I say unto you today, you will be with me in <laughs> paradise. <laughs> it's interesting to note, though, both of them had started out insulting Jesus. It wasn't that one was good and one was bad. This is what it says in Matthew 27, 44. In the same way, the robbers, plural, who were crucified with him, also heaped insults on him. That's interesting, isn't it? In his own pain, in his own agony at the start of the cross, this one man, just like the other, was mocking and insulting. It says heaped insults. It wasn't one or two. It was one upon another upon another out of the anger and bitterness and selfishness in his heart. If you're the Christ, save yourself. And while you're about it, save us as well. We don't want to die here. Something changed his mind in those six hours before his legs were broken and he suffocated to death. What changed his mind? Three things. Firstly, he saw that Jesus was innocent. Secondly, he saw that he was a king about to come into his kingdom. And thirdly, he saw that he alone could offer him forgiveness. Let's look first at the repentant thief. We're going to look at the unrepentant one because there were two thieves and there were two choices. But the repentant thief, what about recognizing? Yeah. 
Are you there? I hope so. His innocence. Well, it's possible that he heard Christ preach. I don't know. He could have been one at the back of the Sermon on the Mount, couldn't he? He could have been sitting there. He could have been there when the 5,000 uh, were fed. He could have been. He could have been almost certainly there the week earlier when the crowds came into the town shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Whether he had heard him or not, we don't know. But he certainly heard about him. Because he says, this man has done nothing wrong. He recognizes the innocent character of Jesus. There was an absolute travesty that he should not be there on the cross. We know that Jesus wasn't crucified for any crime, don't we? Um, in Mark and chapter 14, when he's interviewed by the high priest, it talks about this. It says, the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, do you answer nothing? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And again, the high priest asked him, saying, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He was crucified for being the Son of God. That's what the high priest wouldn't accept. He wouldn't accept the divine sonship of Jesus. So he was an innocent man. There was no um, crime. Pilate said it twice, didn't he? If you read through John's Gospel, you'll find it in John 18 where Pilate said, I find no basis of a charge against him. He brought him out. And then they began to put the pressure on Pilate to capitulate. And it's surprising how quickly he folded, really. But he brings him out again in John 19 and verse 6. And he says, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. And what about Pilate's wife? who had a terrible dream and, and sent down a message to her son, have to her husband, have nothing to do with that innocent man. Again and again, Christ is proclaimed innocent. And somehow, the thief understands that, that Jesus is innocent of any charge. But he also saw the sign above his head. Do you remember it? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It was written in Latin, no, in Hebrew, in Latin, in Greek. That's significant. Hebrew was the local language, so everybody reading it would understand. Latin was the um, business and uh, legal language, so every document would have been transacted in, in Latin. And Greek was the universal language that everybody understood from all over the world. Uh, and the result was that Pilate is trying to say to every strand of society so that no one missed it why Jesus is on the cross. He's the king of the Jews. And there was his kingship being proclaimed. He saw that sign. At first he said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And then he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. Those words just resonated into his mind. He is a king. And he saw 
that he was coming into his kingdom. And he'd also heard him pray for his enemies, hadn't he? The first words from the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And he becomes the only one at the cross to understand that Christ has the right to forgive sins. Perhaps even that he's dying to forgive sins. And at that moment, he knows enough to call on Jesus. He also knows that death isn't the end. Jesus is coming to a kingdom. There is yet a kingdom to come. Anybody who thinks when you're dead, you're dead, that's it. They are vastly mistaken. The resurrection of Jesus proves that there is life beyond the grave forever. The death of this man teaches us that salvation is by faith alone. He had nothing else to offer, did he? I can imagine a conversation uh, at the pearly gates a few moments later. You know, Jesus is, is being welcomed at the right hand of the Father. And this man, he, he, he's come on a few minutes later, you know, a couple hours later. And he gets up to the top and he's just about to go into the pearly gates. And it won't be St. Peter, I'm sure. But he's perhaps asked on the way in, how long have you been following Jesus then? Well, this is about two hours. Well, I'm not sure. Hang on a minute. I better, I better check. He says, and what did you to do do in your life that, that proved your love for him? Well, well, well nothing much, really. Uh, all I did was I, I, I put my faith in him and I spoke up for him. Oh, that'll do. Salvation by trusting in Christ alone. If we trust in ourselves, if we think anything good that we have done is going to get us into his kingdom, we are going to be sorely disappointed the bible is very clear everyone who calls on the name of the lord shall be saved john 3 and 18 says whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of god's one and only son and even the closing words of mark's gospel say whoever does not believe will be condemned it's about faith Faith in a crucified Christ. And this is the first man ever saved through faith in a crucified Christ. Others have been saved by faith. In fact, people were always saved by faith. If you look in the Old Testament, they were saved by faith in the offering that was to come. And they trusted in the offerings that they could see, but they were saved by faith in what was to come. We are saved by faith in what has been. They look forward, we look back, but it's still salvation by faith. It always has been. That was the repentant thief. And it is a great wonder that he got in. He didn't deserve it. But the door was opened. That's grace. Amazing grace. How sweet. How sweet the sound. Does it still taste good in your mouth? Is it like honey on your lips? that saved a wretch like me. Uh, and are you occasionally reminded, as I was this week, of your own wretchedness when you do something wrong? You know, you, you think and act and say, oh, that's what I really like, Lord. Doesn't taste good, does it? But salvation, because it's by faith through grace, or by grace through faith, tastes wonderful. What about the other bloke? Have we got time? Oh, I'm way behind on these, aren't I? Do it. The unrepentant. 
Deathbed repentance is possible. That's what we're taught here. But it is very rare. I have heard people say, oh, I'll think about following Jesus when I'm older. When I've lived my life. Friends, you can be absolutely sure that if somebody decides to follow Jesus later, they'll never follow him at all. And that's a sad thing. But the Bible is clear. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And we can only follow God today. We can't follow God tomorrow because tomorrow never comes. You, you understand? We only live in the day. We can wake up today and say, today I'm going to follow Jesus. But if we say tomorrow, we're hardening our hearts. And if we harden our hearts, we'll come to the place where we can't soften it anymore. I often wonder, how many opportunities do you think God gives to somebody to follow them? It's difficult, isn't it? You see, you'd think they have hundreds. But actually, the amount of times when his word comes to us and our hearts are soft and ready, in life, they might be just a handful. There may actually be very few. God is always willing. And the problem is our hearts are not always willing. And we've got a man here on the cross whose heart was not willing. Perhaps we need to understand that our attitude in life, and somebody won't like me for saying this, because every time I've said this, people haven't liked me for it, our attitude in life generally dictates our attitude to death. We die how we live. Tenerife has always been a popular um, holiday destination. I don't know if you remember the great uh, plane crash, the air disaster that happened in the 1970s in Ten Tenerife. What had happened was there was a uh, storm over Spain and so um, planes were diverted to Tenerife to that little airport there uh, and they landed and they were all stacked up uh, and they were waiting to take off again when the storm worsened and yet more planes were diverted and there was a film crew there in place, it was before the days of mobile phones there was a film crew there in place doing a documentary about what was happening in the airport and they were recording it. And it happened that as one plane was taxiing to take off, another one was coming in to land. And they struck each other. Great explosion, great ball of fire. Many, many people died. If you were able to watch the film, one of the last people to crawl out over the wing and escape before the plane was engulfed, the one that was taxiing, became a Christian speaker. He wasn't a Christian at the time. He travelled around the world and he told his story of what had happened. And the strange thing is, this is what he said. As people were being engulfed by flames and dying, they did not turn to God and pray. They cursed and blasphemed and railed against God as they were dying. Generally speaking, we die how we have lived. If we live hard-hearted and faithless, we will die faithless and cold-hearted. If we live with cursing on our lips, we will probably die not praying. We live how we die. 
if we live a hurried and worried life, always concerned about the things that aren't done, we will probably die a troubled death worrying about the things we've left undone. If we live in anger and bitterness, that anger and bitterness will be part of our death and take us to the grave. And if we don't care about life, we probably won't care about our death. People's last words are supposed to be significant, aren't they? The last words of a butcher were apparently, always slice the ham thin. <laughs> Silly, isn't it? But, you know, what, what, what you, what you say, think's important in life, it's still there with you in death. The last words of John Wesley, you remember them? Best of all, God is with us. The last words of Jesus, we haven't got there yet. Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Oh, that's such an important one because he's just gone through the dark night of the soul that we might look at next week, but it is Mother's Day, so it might go back for a week. But I'm going to need some advice on, on that. We have planned to do it in two weeks' time, but we'll see where we go with that. If we want to die the death of the righteous, we need to live the life of the righteous. If we want to die and have an abundant entrance, we need to put into place now the things that will get us ready for that day. It would be absolutely no use me or Anne-Marie turning up to run a marathon. Pointless. You know, I'd have spent my entry money and it would be totally wasted because I could probably manage a mile and a half. Probably could because I know I, I, I run half a mile quite often. But, you know, more than that, can't do that. You know, mile and a half, I'd be falling over. How, how much would you make, Anne-Marie? <laughs> <laughs> You've got to prepare for these things. Uh, and we need to prepare for that day. Put in place now the things that will get us ready for an abundant entrance. Follow them today so that they will bear fruit then. There were two thieves upon Calvary's hill. One died cursing and unrepentant. The other said, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's interesting. There are many things in life you have no choice about. It's true, isn't it? We couldn't decide where we were going to be born. We couldn't decide how many brothers and sisters we'd have, or if we'd even have brothers and sisters. We couldn't decide where we were going to live. We couldn't decide about our genetic makeup, what colour eyes we'd have, whether we were going to be short or tall. We had no choice in them at all. You didn't decide whether you're male or female. It was just given to you. You didn't decide what race you'd be or what colour you'd be. How would it be if God did it the other way round? If he said to you, you can decide everything you like about your life, your height, your weight, your health, you know, where you're born, but I will decide about whether you get to eternity or not. You know, I'll have this one, but not that one. Some people teach that. I don't. I don't believe God does either. How would it be if it was that way around? It wouldn't be fair, would it? It wouldn't seem right. By giving us free will... God has absolutely forever made it completely fair. 
because you may not be able to decide the unimportant things, but on the one important thing of where we will spend eternity, we can get to decide. There were two crosses and there were two choices made. They had the same evidence. They saw the same Jesus. They had the same truths in front of them. And one of them stood for Christ and made that choice and had the promise from the mouth of God himself. <laughs> Nobody's keeping him out, are they? Today, you will be with me in paradise. He made the right choice. It was a good choice. Oh, dear. Some people don't believe in deathbed repentances. You know, is it really, really possible to change at the last minute? Um, I was talking to a, a, a friend I haven't seen for 42 years. So it was my dad's birthday yesterday. He was 88 years old. And we went down to see him in Malpas uh, and uh, spent some of the day with him, and that was fine. Uh, and Clifford Jones, uh, the Jones, no relation, um, was there fixing my dad's shed for him, uh, which is great. And Clifford and I were at school together from infancy till 17. So I hadn't seen him since I was 17 long, long time ago. And Clifford told me about his old boss. And he said, you know, in the last year, my boss started going to church. And everybody mocked him and ribbed him uh, and said, oh, are you preparing for the end, Clifford? Uh, you, uh, not, not Clifford said, are you preparing for the end? A year after he'd started going to church, he died. That's pretty close, isn't it? <laughs> we had a friend called going to say Bill. Bill and his wife came to the Alpha course. Might not have been Bill. It wasn't, but never mind. He's going to have to be Bill for the moment. Came to the Alpha course at our house. They'd building a new runway in Jersey at the time, and it was called the Alpha Runway. Uh, and every sign they seemed to go past seemed to mention Alpha. And eventually they decided, we're going to have to find out about this Alpha course. So they came on the Alpha course at our house. Just finished the course. Jean, that was her name, Douglas, Douglas, that's it. Jean went on holiday to Guernsey, left Douglas at home. Douglas decided to go up and work on his garage roof, fell off and broke his neck. He just finished the Alpha course. How close does that get? It is possible to have a deathbed conversion, but it is very rare. Wesley didn't believe in it, you know, John Wesley, until he saw it happen. He thought it was impossible to change the way we had been. And then he's called to Oxford to accompany a man that is going to the gallows. And he isn't even saved himself. This is 27th of April, 1738. He isn't saved till May. This next month he's saved. And, and his friend says to him, he's reading the scriptures for this convict going to be hung. And his friend says to him, preach faith to him. So he preaches faith, uh, and this is what he says. He kneeled down in much heaviness and confusion, having no rest in, in his bones by reason of his sins. After a space, he rose up eagerly and said, I'm now ready to die. I know Christ has taken away my sins, and there is no condemnation for me. He brought somebody to faith in Christ before he even come to faith in Christ himself. That was what taught him 
that conversion could be instantaneous and in a moment, and it was a month later he came to faith himself. So how do we know the thief who believed was genuine? Well, actually, in those verses we've read, it tells us six things. Firstly, he knew death wasn't the end. He says, remember me. So Jesus, after he died, could remember him, and he expected to be alive in eternity because he expected to be able to be remembered. In other words, he had an eternal soul. And he understood that, remember me. And then he feared God. He said to his friend, don't you fear God since we're under the same judgment. And by fear God, it meant he understood God had a right to judge him. He was going to stand in the next moment in God's presence. Uh, uh, what do you do if you fear God's judgment? Well, he admitted his own sins. We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. That's confession. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Yeah. And to save us from all unrighteousness. So, he knew death wasn't the end. He feared God and understood he would judge. He confessed his sins and then he confessed Christ. He calls him Lord and he calls him King. Not only did he confess Christ but he realized that he had power to open the doors of heaven. He said, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, in the revelation it says of Jesus, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. And he threw himself upon Christ's mercy. He'd heard him say, Father, forgive them. And he sought that forgiveness himself he got no hope in this world he got no hope in his own goodness his only hope was in a dying savior and when he put his hope in the dying savior he had all hope for eternity the first person saved through a crucified christ surely we need to follow the same steps and if we do we'll get the same welcome Realise death isn't the end. Realise God has the right to judge us, confess our sins, place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and King and put all our trust in him. And as we do, the door to heaven is open. Both men had a choice. Both men had a choice. One decided to carry on with his own anger. The other trusted in Jesus. The thing for them is they had moments to decide. Uh, we often think that we've got ages. We may not have. We don't know. <laughs> I'm not talking about coronavirus. The Bible promises in the Psalms, Psalm 19 verse 10, that the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. They quickly pass and fly away. So I know there's some over 80s here borrowed time frame <laughs> but like have you if you're under 70 measured your days until 70 because that's all you promised we hope we'll get the 80 because we've got the strength but we are not promised that <laughs> the end of that psalm says in verse 12 teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom if you were to count up to 70, how many years you get, you're left? I've got 10. 20 if I get to 80. 
That's it. And standing in God's presence. We've really got to understand that we don't put off to tomorrow serving Jesus. We draw close to him today. We don't panic about it. We learn to love his presence and rest in his presence and abide in his word and walk with him. We value that time with him and with his people. When I uh, went to Bible school, I was a sprinter at the time because I was a young man and I liked running. That's why I was a rugby player. I still run. Not so much like it anymore. And I had this idea that you could run flat out to God. And I said this to the uh, principal at the Bible school, David Tess. I, I, I said, you know, I, I love to run, throw my head back and just go for it. He said, yeah, okay, it, it is a run, but you don't want to think of it as a sprint. Think of it as a marathon. He said, plan as if you had 50 years to serve the Lord, but be ready for him to come tomorrow. And surely that's where we've got to be. I don't know how many years we've got. God may grant you a hundred. I don't know. But plan as if you've got another five, another ten years to serve him. Put it out there. And put it in place. So that in that time you won't be further from him, but much nearer to him. But live as if you could be in his presence tomorrow. Two thieves. Two choices. so we pray, Lord, as we come to you. In a sense, this is sort of a gospel message, Lord. But help us also be those that measure our days aright. And give them to you and don't waste them. And help us also to be witnesses to our neighbours. We thank you for the day we made a choice. Help us to continue to make a choice to draw near to you, to find cleansing and to follow in Jesus' name.